you know, probably by the time I was 13, I was, you know, trading on a daily basis and, you know, generating returns that were, you know, beating the far majority of hedge funds at the time and, you know, major indices as well. What is going on, futurists? This is your captain speaking, Michael Sakand, the founder and CEO of Our Future. What do we do? We are the number one business podcast and media brand for young business leaders like yourself who listen in three times a week or more to unlock their future in context of our future. And I have an absolutely wild interview for you guys today. Before I even announce the guest, I just want to say, if you'll please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, really helps the show go and get a ton of credibility beyond the huge names we've had. It's another credibility driver to really get this show the status it needs in this industry to be one of the best podcasts in the world. Actually, it already is, but it needs to be one of the top podcasts in the world. Okay, my next guest is Mr. Jack Fox. Jack is 16 years old. He's from Colorado and he runs a hedge fund. Yeah, a hedge fund. He's not your average 16-year-old high school student, I'll tell you that much. He's cold emailed some of the most successful investors in the world and had them invest in him as a 16-year-old. He's the founder of Foxy Capital LLC. I hope you get a kick out of this wild interview. What is up, everybody? This is Michael Sakan, the founder and CEO of Our Future. We are the go-to business podcast and media brand for Gen Z leaders who are looking to shape their future in context of our future. And I've got a young gentleman with me here today who's certainly going to shape our future and is doing so right now as a 16-year-old. What's up, Jack Fox? How are you? Give us your backstory, bro. Where are you from? Where do you go to school? And how did you kind of get to where you are now? Yeah, so I'm from uh, Snowmass, Colorado. Um, I go to school, uh, Aspen High School. Um, yeah, so, you know, I've lived, you know, I've lived in Colorado for, you know, the past 14 years, born in uh, San Francisco, California. You know, I've been, you know, I've been trading for, you know, since I was 11 or 12. Um, since you were 11 you know, or 12? Yeah. You've been yeah. trading and since you were 11 or 12? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think people, you know, there's, there's generally a misconception that you can't open a brokerage account, which, you know, technically you can't, but, you know, I think... You know, as long as you have access to a, you know, an adult's social security number. Sure. You know, I started, I wouldn't say I was actively trading, but, you know, putting aside, you know, what money I'd saved up, um, you know, and then progressively had gotten more and more serious about it. You know, probably by the time I was 13, I was, you know, trading on a daily basis and, you know, generating returns that were, you know, beating the far majority of hedge funds at the time and, you know, major indices as well. Um, you know, from that point, I'd had, I'd had people reach out to me about, you know, potentially managing their money. You know, and I'd, I'd held it off for a while because I thought, you know, I just I logistically I didn't have the time, you know, nor did I think, you know, I, I didn't quite believe that I could do it. But, you know, this past year with the pandemic, you know, I was, you know, a lot more time, you know, I, I, I had to, you know, kind of pursue some of these goals. And, you know, really, it really started to make sense that, you know, now I had the time logistically to go ahead and, and you know, start putting together the, the legal framework to, to start a hedge fund. All right. So how much money do you have under management right now? Uh, 250. Well, so initially, uh, the initial fund was raised for $251,000. Okay. Gotcha. So the initial fund was raised to for 250,000. Yeah. It's pro- How much has it grown? What are you up? Um, it's at around, it's like 320,000 after six months. The legal framework to start a hedge fund. Okay. I mean, you're 13 years old and people are asking if you'll, you'll manage their money. So, I mean, how did you even get into investing as an 11 or 12 year old? I mean, were you just deep in the literature and Investopedia? Were you just, was this self-driven? Was it a, a family thing? Like, how did you get the ball rolling? Did you get the fire in your belly to be a financier at such a young age? 
Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, neither of my parents are in the finance industry, um, but, you know, I'd read, you know, The Intelligent Investor. I was big into, you know, Benjamin Graham, Warren Buffett, sure, a lot of sure. those guys. Um, you know, and I just, you know, it, it had always been something, even when I was younger than 11 or 12, that I, you know, wanted to do. Um, you know, and it was, you know, I just kind of, I, I think the notion of being a part of a company, you know, even as a very small shareholder was appealing. Um, you know, and I think, you know, I've always believed that capital is a big driver of change, even though, you know, most people, you know, or a lot of people disagree with that. Um, you know, and I felt that, you know, as long as you have, you know, you can always allocate capital to things that are important to you and, you know, you feel that are important to the future. So, you know, I, again, I think that notion was always appealing and, you know, I'd finally kind of saved up enough money because that was always initially the problem was, you know, I've been trading, you know, a hundred or two hundred dollars here and there where, you know, I was getting killed by fees and, and it's it's funny like this is really before you know Robinhood right was, or, or right. kind of before the notion of free trading, um so you know I was just getting killed by fees initially so I'd stop for a little bit until I was able to accumulate more capital, um just by working but, but yeah no I just I, I think I've always believed that capital's a you know you know an avenue in which you can change things that are important to you things that sure. you think are important to the future so sure. you know I think that was kind of the the advent that 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 made me want to start start trading. Sure, right. I mean, people make the argument, uh, you know, Wall Street doesn't create anything. Investing doesn't create anything. It's just moving money around, people getting artificially rich. But you're right, you know, deploying capital creates opportunity. And that's how the world goes around. What, what, was your, what were your first few plays? I mean, your parents gave you a little bit of money, you, you worked, you got a job, and you put it in an investment account. I mean, what was your ethos going to just experiment? You know, what were the first few stocks you bought? Um, it's mostly tech. So it was actually, I think Disney was my first play. Okay. Um, you know, they had had an interesting, it would have been, you know, 2016, 2017. So they'd had an interesting slate of films coming out that I thought were interesting. And then, you know, generally the fang stock. So, you know, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google. Okay. Um, you know, and it, and it wasn't really until a year or two later that I really started, you know, trading on a daily basis. So, you know, trading, uh, trading options, you know, selling on margin, um, trading on margin. But, you know, and, and initially it was really just, you know, buying to, to buy long as opposed to, you know, right. And I, I believe you, you are a value investor. So you're, you're mentioning yeah. you're, you're trading every day. Tell me what that means. Fundamentally. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say, you know, the majority of the capital that I allocate is towards long investments. I'd say, you know, whenever I do have short positions, I'd never exceed 10% of assets under management towards, you know, trading on, you know, trading options. But, but yeah, no, I mean, I think fundamentally, I mean, you look at a lot of the institutional investors and I'd argue that a lot of the reason why, you know, they aren't able to beat major indices on a, on a yearly basis is because they allocate way too much money to option positions. Because, you know, you, you look at it statistically speaking and you're, you go generally 50-50. So, you know, you're, you're right about 50% of the time and you're wrong about 50% of the time. So, right, that, that's essentially just dead money. That's not really making you any money or losing you any money because at the end of the day, you know, it's neither cash flow positive or negative. Um, so, so I try, you know, I'd say more so when I'm trading on a daily basis, I'm doing, I'm actively researching on a daily, daily basis. So not necessarily trading. But, you know, I'd say, you know, I allocate anywhere between five to 10% of assets towards, you know, trading on short positions. Okay. All right. So how does a, you know, 13-year-old, 14-year-old, 15-year-old kid deliver better returns than another hedge fund? You know, hedge funds are really, you know, they're incentivized by, you know, trying to find the best, not even positions, but, you know, the best assets to allocate their capital to, right? As opposed to doing the most obvious thing. Where you know you look at you know the past ten years, the best thing you could have possibly done with your money is you know put it into Fang stocks. So you know whereas all these institutional traders were you know they were looking at European banks and they were looking at you know all these you know all these ways to allocate capital in a way that's 
you know, not necessarily the most obvious thing to do, right? Because you have to raise your next fund. Um, in order to do so, you have to persuade investors that what you're doing is different from what everybody else is doing. But I'd argue that, you know, the best way to make money is not necessarily to do the most arbitrary thing, but it's to do the most obvious thing, you know? And I think a lot of institutional investors miss that. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not out here, I'm not here trading, you know, you know, European bank stocks. I'm not doing, you know, the most arbitrary thing. I, I'd say, you know, I, but that's not necessarily means that I'm doing the most obvious thing, but, but I think, you know, what's allowed me to be successful is that, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, kind of be an eccentric trader in the sense that, you know, all these people are doing this and I'm here, you know, I'm, you know, what's, what's the best avenue to generate gains. And, and that's typically not doing the most eccentric and the most arbitrary thing. Yeah. The most obvious, but not the most arbitrary thing. I kind of like that. So you're just like, yeah. you're just investing in these, these great companies, right. That'll last a long time. I mean, what are some of the holdings of, of your hedge fund? You know, currently it's a lot of Chinese tech, actually. I mean, you know, okay. I, I, there's there's clearly a lot of asset inflation, especially in tech. Um, you know, China really has not had the run-up that U.S. tech stocks have had. Um, but I think, you know, the addressable market is comparable, if not better. You know, I think a lot of the concerns regarding regulations on Chinese tech or just regulations on China in general are, you know, not of concern. Because, again, you know, they have a, they have a larger addressable population than most of these U.S. companies have. And they haven't had the run-up that uh, U.S. tech stocks have had. So I think, you know, so generally they provide. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, besides that, you know, I'm, I know a lot of people are bearish on SPACs, but I think a lot of the SPACs that Chamath and Social Capital is doing are pretty interesting. I think I think when SPACs are done with the right companies, they're super effective. Because again, you know, like the, the, initial, the initial advent of SPACs is we want to take companies that are probably five years away from going public through the typical IPO route. We're going to take them public because, you know, typically these are capital intensive companies yeah. that, you know, are five years away from going public. So we're going to get them, we're going to get them more capital earlier on, and we're going to let retail traders get their hands on them, um, on, on companies that typically, you know, uh, private, uh, private capital guys are just, you know, guys that trade private companies typically would, would have their hands on. So, you know, I think, I think um, Open Door is super interesting, you know, again, typ typical, you know, capital intensive company that's probably five years away from IPOing on a typical route, but goes public through a SPAC, um, you know, and then typically, you know, they, they typically only have capital flowing in through private equity guys, but now they're, they're getting access to more capital earlier on. It's and I think it's just a great team. Yeah. Other tech stocks. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised they haven't had the run up that Fang has, you know, Alibaba and some of the Tencent and some of those big companies. Um, yeah. It makes sense. I like your thesis. So how do you manage your time between running a hedge fund as a 16 year old? You know, it's, it's it's really hard, but but I think you know I think people undervalue how much time they spend doing stupid stupid things. You know how much how much time's wasted, you know on a daily basis. Um, and I think if you find ways to actively lower the time that's wasted on a day to day basis, I think you're more likely to better utilize that time. So no, I mean it's it's difficult. I mean it's it's you know I'm spending probably eight hours a day in school, but you know I'd say four of that is probably multitasking anyways. Sure. But no, you're I mean reading, it's it, you're reading reports. You're just diving into financial news, markets, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'd say, you know, the actual trading component doesn't take a lot of time, but the research component does. So, you know, I try to, I try to look at, you know, 30 to 40 new companies every week, um, you know, do, do balance sheet evaluations. Um, you know, I guess, you know, which is interesting because, you know, if, uh, you know, I'm primarily investing in tech, but, you know, the balance sheet is still somewhat of an important component, even though, you know, I yeah. think typically people undervalue that. Because, again, you know, if you're a newly IPO tech company or just a tech company, period. Growth you know, over likely, profit. Exactly. Yeah, you're not cash flow positive, but, you know, it, it, which makes it tough, right? Because you look at the PE ratios and you're looking at, you know, how do I value this company in real time? 
And, you know, the valuation say it's way overvalued, but, you know, how do you factor in potential growth and, you know, how this company does in the future is, is really difficult. But, you know, I get, I guess back to the main question is, you know, it's hard, you know, I'm definitely, I don't, I don't sleep a lot. I'd say I probably, you know, sleep six to five hours a day, depending. I mean, the weekends are different. Five to six hours a day. Oh man. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not very tall. Up those numbers. We got rookie numbers in this racket. I know, I know. It's not, it's not good. It's not definitely not good for my health, but you know, I'd say, you know, if, if you get better at, at, at utilizing, you know, at least lessening time spent on, you know, useless activities and then allocating that time to activities that are more beneficial, I think and people would be surprised about the amount of hours that exist in day and how you can, you know, be productive with those hours that you waste doing things. You know, it's, it's an awareness that, you know, people who have discovered their passion can um, come to because you realize that you want to be spending all your time on it. Um, like I do with this podcast. I mean, you've, you found your passion, your talent at a young age. Is this all you think about every day? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say for the most part. I mean, I say the, the fund's performance is number one on my list of like, what, you know, what's important. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, your fund's, your fund's performance is more important than your grades. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. I'd say at this moment in time, yeah. So you must feel a great deal of responsibility because you're managing the money of adults at age 16. Yeah, Who are these adults? Sure. Who are these adults? How did you get these people to invest in your hedge fund? You know, I, I think the premise is pretty interesting. I mean, I think I have a good track record. Um, you know, I, I think another component is that like, you know, you have to, so there's a lot of rules and regulations that apply to hedge funds. So you can only contact high net worth individuals. Um, you know, and, and I, I just, you know, I, you know, I didn't know. You can only contact them. So you, yeah. you can't even reach out to people who aren't accredited investors. Exactly. Exactly. Gotcha. Um, which I think is stupid by the way, but, but, but anyways, um, yeah. So, you know, I just, I probably reached out to a hundred people that, you know, I mean, you'd, you'd be surprised about the number of email addresses that are public. Um, that, yeah, you know, well, no, really, I'm not really, surprised. I'm not surprised doing this podcast. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you can, yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I reached out to a bunch of people. I think a lot of people felt the premise was interesting. You know, I, I think, you know, the advent of a 16 year old investor, you know, dissuades a lot of people, but I think, you know, people that have more contrarian mindsets were interested by that. And, you know, and I think I had the, you know, again, again, like the notion of being experienced for a 16 year old is kind of an oxymoron in itself, but, you know, I had a pretty good track record, um, comparatively speaking to other, other hedge funds. So, you know, I think, I think That's the hedge crazy. funds that chose to invest with me were interested by, you know, the premise of the fund, by my track record and by, again, the notion of, you know, a 16 year old hedge fund manager. Yeah. Well, it's no different than doing the podcast. You know, you're five years younger than me, but reaching out to people saying, you know, I'm you know, 21 years old, 20 years old. And, you know, I have this track record of guests and this is why you should go with my podcast versus some other guy's podcast. You know, I'm a young kid. I'm trying to reinvent the game. And I think it's a compelling pitch. You know, when you're a young person, you have this tremendous superpower to be interesting to, to older people. Right. Um, it seems to be something that you've certainly tapped into. I mean, who are these people you're reaching out to? I mean, do you, you have a certain person you wanted or, or how did it go? No, I mean, so, you know, it, it's tough because, you know, I, I didn't want to get into any legal battle. So I didn't want to reach out to anybody. I wasn't, you know, somewhat familiar of their track record and, you know, could somewhat, somewhat verify that they weren't going to, you know, screw me over in a sense. Um, so, you know, I just, I reached out to, you know, a few local people that I thought might be interested, but most of them were external people that, you know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't know personally, but, you know, I was able to track down their, their, their email addresses, but, you know, I wasn't any, any specific, you know, traits that I was looking after. It was just, you know, who are accredited investors that, you know, I fundamentally believe will either, you know, like the pitch or, you know, I, I, I trust to not, to not, um, you know, take advantage of me. 
Blue yeah, I mean, the point is that you're 16 and doing this, man. You've raised 250K as a 16-year-old. You're so far ahead of any other kid. You're probably like one of the youngest kids doing something of this size. So that's the wild shit, bro. I mean, the future is yours, dude. Like, you are so far ahead of the, the game. I wish I started this podcast when I was 16. I mean, it's insane. You're lucky. You're lucky you found your passion at such a young age right now you have the power yeah. of passion it's how you use it it's how it's a responsibility to figure out how that works out and um it's it's unbelievable dude well jack why don't you give a piece of advice to anybody who wants to start investing just just start i mean i think it's i think it's intimidating for a lot of people especially especially if you're under the age of 18 where you're technically not allowed to be investing at all but you know, I, I think Robinhood's actually a great platform. You know, having set up a Robinhood account just out of curiosity myself, it's, it's super seamless. I mean, you're you're only restricted by you know a social security number. So as long as your parents are okay with it, you know, I think I think just starting is the most important part. You know, I think you know beyond that. And, and, and again, I, I you know, there's so many types of investors. You don't have to be a day trader. You know, I think if you want to put your put your money in a few indices and you know some Vanguard stuff, I, I think you're I think you're fine. Sure. You know, but but I think I think this notion of like you have to be actively trading is wrong. I, th- I think you can be as, as hands-on or as hands-off as you want, but I think starting early is, is, is beneficial. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Mr. Jack Fox, the founder of Foxy Capital LLC. He is a high schooler running a hedge fund. I can't wait to see what it goes on with Jack's career. I mean, he's just so successful right now. I thought I was young doing a podcast at 21. He's 16, found his passion, found his skill. It is, uh, it's fascinating, interesting, and all around incredible. Wishing him the best. Again, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Takes less than 60 seconds. Really helps the show grow, get the status it needs. And as always, I want you guys to do one thing before you leave, and that is to stay frosty. Be on the lookout for Monday's interview. It's huge. It's going to be crazy. I can't wait to tell you who that guest is. Peace out.